I have Pamela Todd and Arthur Smith, and they're both with uh, an organization that is a brand new organization called Chicago Living Corridors, and uh, I got myself involved in it. Um, it's been like now 17 months ago or something like that. It's a year, almost a year and a half. Uh, welcome. Welcome to the studio. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Thank uh, and we had a meeting downtown yesterday, and it was uh, really intense um, because there was a lot of information. And in a second, we will get to the idea because the man who wrote the grant proposal for $100 million uh, is right here in the studio. I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> Okay, Art's done. Uh, Art doesn't want Art now Art didn't even want to be here live at all. But come on. Look at this. It's pirate radio here. This is this you, you got to relax. This is like being in the college dorm room. I am the treasurer of the organization. <laughs> so, let's start at the beginning about how this organization came to be. Chicago Living Corridors and knowing that the name might change again. It was, for a while, it was called Chicago Area Living Corridor Alliance. Then it got shortened to uh, Chicago Living Corridors. Maybe it will end up being just Living Corridors. It might end up being Midwest Living Corridors. But Living Corridors is the key, isn't it, uh, Pam? That's, yeah, that's absolutely right. I, we started with the idea of corridors in, in Doug Tallamy's Backyard National Park, which kind of popularized that idea that everyone can participate in creating a corridor. Um, let me let me inter- interrupt you just for one second. People who are not familiar with Doug Tallamy, he wrote a book called Bringing Nature Home back in like 07 or 08. Um, and it started a movement, basically. A lot of people consider that the Bible of this new movement. And the idea was we don't plant enough natives. And the reason that's a problem, there's two problems. One, we're losing natural areas at an alarming rate uh, all over the planet, all over the planet. I mean, we had Chris Mest on here a couple of weeks ago who said, at the rate we're going in 300 years, we will have wiped out all the trees on the earth. Honest to goodness. We've, we've taken the tree population from 6 trillion to 3 trillion. We, half of them are gone, all right, since humans got involved in this. You know, if we're not paying attention, it'll happen. So Doug writes and says, we need to plant natives. Why? Because we're losing natural areas. And why is that important? Uh, well, our native insect species have nothing to feed on. And if they go away, we go away, basically. So that's the beginning of this. So last year. We actually had Doug Tallamy come and speak at the West Cook Wild Ones first conference. We've only been around for three years, whereas Wild Ones has been around since the 70s. So Really, this idea of Doug Tallamy's is not a brand new idea. It goes back that far to the prairie restoration movement and people realizing that, oh, you can bring it home, do it in your own yard, um, and you can do your little piece of it. Um, but Doug has popularized it in a way that makes it really understandable to people and um, uplifting. You know, it's an uplifting message. That he's a really positive guy. Yeah. He's very positive. He's funny. He's n- He's not judgmental, <laughs> going back to what you were just saying about you know, how do you talk to your neighbors? Well, he has neighbors that are in opposition, obviously doing very different things, and um, that's not how he approaches it. So we really appreciated um, his uh, viewpoint. There were about 300 people at the conference, but the best thing of all was that we took the opportunity to have a meeting beforehand, which I know you attended, Mike, and that was wonderful, um, of different conservation leaders across the Chicago region 
who are interested in working together um, because this is going to take everyone pulling the same direction and raising awareness for all our efforts and understanding who's doing what is maybe the first part of it. We're, right now, I feel as though our efforts are fragmented the same way the ecosystem is fragmented, and um, there's a real opportunity for us to help each other. That's a really good point, that one of the goals of this group is to be, as you said yesterday, an umbrella group for a lot of, I mean, folks are, who are familiar with Chicago Wilderness might say, well, you've already got Chicago Wilderness, why do you, we need another group, but, uh, and why do we? Um, well, Chicago Wilderness is a fabulous organization that's also been around for quite a long time and has, I think, 300-plus organizations as members. Um, their focus has historically, I think, been more on the conservation community itself. And I think what is new about this idea is um, that the preserves are extremely important, but they're just a small fragment of the land. In Illinois, for example, 95% of the land is privately owned. So, can, can we stop there for a second? Yeah. Actually, it's the statistic you had on the screen yesterday was 95.9 or something like that. Like really 96% of the land in Illinois is privately owned. All right, let's let that sink in for a second. And and the other statistic I thought of, it's, it's not really related, but 95% of our food in Illinois is imported. That sort of blows you away, too. Uh, but that's all that is kind of related in that the farms we have, which are huge swaths of land, are not producing food they 're producing commodities um, and commodities don 't necessarily help nature either, you know especially if you 're doing it in the tr- traditional way of 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 synthetic fertilizers and pesticides gmos whatever. So anyway, I just I, I'm sorry I interrupted you, yeah. but that those two numbers resonate with me. Yeah, it, it's a really important point, and I think the statistic on um, agriculture is 75 percent in Illinois. We don't necessarily think of ourselves as the farm state, but it, you know, a huge part of our land is devoted to that. And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, I think the monarchs kind of brought to light the idea that this is really impacting biodiversity. How we use our private lands, whether they're ag- agricultural or, you know, our churches, our parks, our, you know, our own homes, our own land around our homes is really critical to um, how the ecosystem functions. And um, back to Chicago Wilderness, I think that um, they also uh, have a focus on landowners. Um, I think it's, it's an idea whose time has come. Um, and we're going to support that. We're going to do everything we can to make sure as many people as possible not only know why this is important, but also how they can do it and where the resources are so we can kind of piece back together the landscape. Um, from preserve to preserve, there's a lot of land in between, and we want to create stepping stones of private land that is supporting the ecosystem sustainably the same way our preserves are. And, I, and that's the important difference with this organization is that a lot of organizations look at the public lands and say, okay, we can, government can have an influence and we can, we can set aside forest preserves and prairies and whatever we need uh, and work on those. But as we just pointed out, they're 4% of the lands in Illinois, which means we got to reach out to the lands that are owned by somebody, whether it's a church, whether it's a business, whether it's an individual, and get them on board and say, you know, you have to be part of this 
effort if we're going to win, if we're going to succeed, if we're going to save our own species. Well, and I think that the, it's even more stunning to realize that the fragmentation of the ecosystem is also impacting the preserves and um, the lack of buffers around those preserves. Because, you know, obviously what the pesticides or herbicides you put on land right next to the, next to the preserves is going to influence them and um, <clears throat> influence our waters. So, um, it you know, it's... 95% is pretty scary, and um, the fact that even what has been preserved is endangered by fragmentation yeah. and by lack of buffers is even scarier. I, another thing Doug points out that uh, really impressed me was that <clears throat> there, there just is no more land to set aside. We've converted all the land in our country to human use of some form. A lot of the preserved land out west, you know, there's a lot more there, but a lot of and, it is— And people are fighting to take it, to privatize it, and— People like you, all of us in the room, realize that that's crazy uh, because it'll all the trees will get chopped down and all the rivers will be despoiled, and well, it, we can't afford that. Yeah, and a lot of the national forest land, of course, is already used for, you know, it's logged. It's you Well, know. you know, okay, for example, the National Forest Service is not in the business of preserving forests. It's in managing the resources, which means clear cuts, which means extraction of minerals and oil and gas, uh, all of that stuff. Uh, the national parks, on the other hand, are in the business of preserving. I had a vacation house out in the Pacific Northwest, which was on a glacier-fed lake, and there were four jurisdictions around that lake. Uh, to the uh, west was the Indian Reservation, the Quinault Tribe. Uh, to the north was the National Park. Uh, to the south was the National Forest. That was the land that we were on. To the east was private homesteaded land. And all of these entities were in conflict all the time. And you should have heard what the homesteaders had to say about the Park Service, you know, roll their eyes about the rules and regs and, and even the, the National Forest Service. You know, even though the National Forest Service is in the business of helping people utilize the land. And, of course, the Indians own the rights to the water, to the lake. That was part of the arrangement. So you couldn't even fish in the lake without getting a license from the tribe, mm -hmm. which is fine with me. But, of course, it caused a lot of consternation mm -hmm. in the area, too. So there's always this tension here, and you realize... It's not all one entity when, when you say, even when you say government, people say government and they have this idea of this big block, this entity that controls everything and behaves in a uniform way. It's not true. Mm -hmm. There are different agencies and different ways that, uh, uh, different ways that these controls are manifested. Uh, by the way, that's Pamela Todd there and Arthur Smith in the studio. All right. I'm, so we, you've gotten to this point, you've got this organization together mm -hmm. that says, Please, folks, you got to take your private and please, and, and please is implied. Please help us out. You've got to take the private land and you've got to start paying attention to what you're putting on it and help. Um, the, the idea is create corridors, create stretches of land, whether along easements or right of ways, uh, and uh, even patchwork, individual yards. Exactly. Um, yeah. In um, our area in West Cook, Wild Ones is trying to create a corridor between Thatcher Woods and Columbus Park. Columbus Park, of course, is a Jens Jensen Park, and he mm -hmm. kind of set the standard for how having nature close to you humanizes, you know, our society. 
Um, and at the other end, we have Thatcher Woods, which is, you know, of course, is a focus area for the Cook County Forest Preserves. And we're trying to somehow connect by engaging homeowners um, these two preserves and make a pathway for biodiversity. Um, I, you know, I, th I think that the fact that so much land is privately owned is actually a huge opportunity for us um, in Illinois because we can make a difference and we can, I think of it as kind of crowdsourcing a preserve. <laughs> um, each one of us matters. Each one of us, as, as um, Scott Stewart pointed out to us yesterday at Lurie Garden, mm -hmm. Uh, if you have a pot, plant it with a miniature Lurie garden. If you have a, a yard, you know, make your own little nature preserve in your backyard. We can all do something. Um, you can work on somebody else's land, volunteer to help other people, senior citizens, or work in schools. And, you know, it's something we can all do together and really take pride in. I think it's a community. In addition to the fragmentation impacting biodiversity, the thing about biodiversity and the integrity of the ecosystem is that it's that fragmentation is breaking up the services that the ecosystem provides all our communities. So now that we're dealing with increased rainfall or the need to come up with new ideas to clean up rivers or the farmers not having bees to pollinate their plants, these are things that we normally relied on ecosystems to provide services. And it was not a problem 50 years ago when we had lots of land and the ecosystems were intact. Now that it's being divided up into smaller plots and we have so much of our populated area in, in private development, we're not only seeing the, the crash of the natural system, but we're coming up and spending more public money to basically substitute for what nature used to provide. Uh, and I think you, you mentioned earlier the monarch butterfly, and I'm worried that some people – to the, have gotten to the saturation point. Oh, monarch, monarch this, monarch that. The problem is, it's the canary in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. It really, really is. The fact that we're losing the monarch butterfly and we could see it go functionally extinct within our lifetimes points the finger at us and says, you haven't been good stewards of the planet. You screwed it up, okay? There's still a chance to fix it, but not much. I think we're, we're getting perilously close to that tipping point and maybe we've already passed it and and i think that's why the monarch is so important is that if you can if you can fix that maybe you can fix all the other stuff you're doing wrong there have actually been studies that show that uh, because of the farmers are are plowing and planting from edge to edge and and negating the habitat for a species like the monarch the urban areas are actually becoming a refuge for the monarchs, because people aren't at least plowing from edge to edge. And they're planting milkweed. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, milkweed is, is the cry. Get, get it in the ground. And I, I, I don't know the, the there's, there's been a, maybe it's, it's called weed, but there's been a prejudice against milkweed because it's actually a pretty plant. I'm talking about common milkweed. That's a good looking plant, if you ask me. And the pods are wonderful and just everything that happens with it is magic. It's just magic. Uh, so when people say, oh, it's invasive, it's kind of, maybe, a little bit. I don't know. Uh, it's aggressive, but that's okay with me if it's going to save the monarch. What we need to get to, though, is the $100 million. And uh, it's, it's, out, it's an outrageous sum of money. Mm -hmm. 
It is. It is just an outrageous sum of money. And yet the MacArthur Foundation said, okay, come up with a big idea. Somebody, they threw it out there and said, anybody in the world, come up with a big idea and we'll fund it to the tune of $100 million. And this was about the time that Chicago Living Corridors was incorporating. And you guys said, why not? Why not? This this is a big idea. We we have 95% of our land, 96% of our land that's privately owned. The only way we can get anybody's attention is to have enough money to go to everybody and say, here, we can help you uh, create these corridors. And $100 million would be just enough to get a pilot funded um, that could be used worldwide. So you wrote the grant, Arthur. Uh, what how what was that experience like? It's like 40, you'd mentioned like 44 pages or something. Uh, yeah, fortunately, I, I had some time available because I had... <laughs> yeah, but you back. also had rotator cuff surgery. And that's why I had the time available. I had the surgery. I was in a sling, and um, I did have time to uh, to sit down and do it. It actually got me through my recovery. And it's, and it's interesting because air and water has been very protected by our legal system. You know, there are systems in place that protect the quality of the water, protect mm-hmm. the quality of the air. And I think the reason for that is that there's a direct relation between water quality and air quality and human health. The government, the legal system, has never protected land. The only time it really protects land is for a new development and where if you go in and you're doing a new development, you have to mitigate, which is basically offsetting what you're going to destroy. So there's really nothing that either incentivizes or makes, if you will, the private property owner to protect the land, even though the land is as essential to the survival of the planet and our Mm -hmm. communities as air and water. So that was the conundrum. There's nothing that exists. And when you look at, you know, what granting people have normally done, and, you know, God bless them, they usually go to preserve those good quality pieces of land or protect it buy it, or a conservation easement. But there is nothing out there that results in a net increase of ecosystems. And that's because those systems are on the 95% Mm -hmm. of the land that is not being addressed. So the issue is how to come about and, 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 and create a market system that incentivizes the private landowner to restore what has been traditionally landscaped. And, and I like that idea when you start to say market system. Now you're, you're kind of taking it out of the realm of the traditional models, which is, you know, grants and what can the government do for me. We're talking a market system here. That's How would the market work? It's a completely independent market system. And I wish I had come up with the idea. I, I did not. I actually started by looking at whether or not we could extend the concept of habitat conservation plans, which is basically what the developer has to do if they want to get ahead of permit by permit, mm-hmm. you know, when they do new development. And I found out that that's probably just engaging in the, the, the old paradigm and not getting us to the restoration. So I, I flew the concept by. I had a paper written uh, by a friend of mine who is uh, one of the world's uh, most prominent environmental economists. And he said, Art, I think you're talking about a public ledger system or blockchain technology. And I I said, talk about that a little bit more. 
He says, well, right now these markets are very popular in like financial instruments or artwork or copyright. Why can't we have a biodiversity market asset? And why can't we develop a biocurrency that we can create with a smart contract and publicly trade? Hmm. And that's what brought rise to this concept. Mm-hmm. We would establish a blockchain technology, which has grown incredibly you know, since the commonly uh, referred to Bitcoin. Bitcoin was an early example of blockchain technology. But now there are these smart contracts for all kinds of concepts. Um, it's actually developing faster in undeveloped or less developed countries than in the United States. Yeah, you're not Be- fighting the infrastructure. You're not fighting the existing financial infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So there's a, you're basically leapfrogging the landline, going right to the cell phone. Yeah. yeah, and I think with all the mobile technology, that's also what people are adapting. A- exactly, and that mobile technology and the computer power makes available the software that once the mm-hmm. software is there, the transaction for doing the private trains is very inexpensive. So it's not just the large entities like the government or the sewer district who might be buyers, if you will, of the currency, but when the transaction cost is so small, it could be a community going block by block, you know, because they want people to install Mm -hmm. rain gardens, or it could be a church that wants to fund the preservation of the monarch butterfly. Mm. Yeah, my friend uh, Lisa Albrecht with... uh the Illinois Solar Energy Association talks about community solar, you know, which is a way we really haven't gone. Everybody thinks, let's put panels on my house. But what if you got the community together mm-hmm. because you need the place to do it, and then everybody benefits from it? But this is uh, along those lines. It's exactly along yeah. that line. As a matter of fact, Jeremy Rifkin, in his book, talks about the third industrial age, and he applied the blockchain technology to distributed and renewable energy. Mm-hmm. This is simply substituting that distributed energy system, and instead of, have, instead of having a unit of energy, you're having a unit of a, of a bio-criteria. Let's say, for example, a 10-foot by 10-foot area geared towards water retention. You would basically detail what characteristics you would want in that co- smart contract, and then people have the option, if they wish, to put that on their property and post it for sale. So what happens if you get the $100 million? Where do you start? How does, this, how does the ball get rolling? Well, you need to pilot it. You know, right now it's never been done. Um, and essentially you have Oh, to- so no pressure at all, really. <laughs> 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 well, the idea is new. It's never been done. No pressure. Done, done. <laughs> um, and one of the comments that I got initially is, well, you know, what, if this thing is such a promising market, why isn't there a venture capitalists that are coming in and providing the market system? And the answer is that you're not going to have somebody front the money to analyze whether or not the currency can actually drive, become a tool to produce an environmental result. So the concept is to take an area and, and have four different biocurrencies uh, and put in pilot projects and you do baseline testing, and you do testing along the way, and you do post-testing to verify that the private activity that's driven by the market is actually producing the environmental result. For example, if you're interested in water quality and there's a particular 
river that flows through a populated area, and the government has been struggling with how to lower some of the pollutant levels in that river, if you can then target the adjacent properties and put in the bioassets as filter strips along the, the river, you know, how do you substantiate the environmental results? Well, you test the water quality. You tested before. You know how much uh, filter strips you have because you've purchased the currency. And you go in afterwards and you test the water quality. If it's, if it's been improved, now you have a correlation between the amount of currency you've purchased, the environmental results, and price discovery on people's personal behavior mm -hmm. relative to the market. Now, there is no market. So nobody, and no, nobody's going nobody's to come in and, 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 and fork over $20 million to develop a market without that kind of confidence. So the idea of, of the MacArthur grant is the grant money will basically be a surrogate for the market for the six-year duration. They will ba basically substitute as the buyer of the credits. And we will carefully look at the existing green infrastructures in the Chicago area. Uh, we know where there's sensitivity in terms of water quality and water retention. So we say this area is ripe for the currency. Then we will calculate how much land we need to get those environmental results. And then we will send out a market signal saying, okay, we will publicize. This is where the outreach of the Chicago Living Corridors come in. You know, we bombard the community with information not only about the services that are available to do the restoration, but the price that they can expect to get, um, who can provide that service, and how do you post it on the ledger system? We basically publicize the amount of money. I'm just thinking about the infrastructure you're trying to create here. It could be, it's daunting, but it's doable. Oh, it's yeah. absolutely, and you're not yeah. really doing any infrastructure. You're allowing private citizens to basically landscape in mm -hmm. a certain fashion. I, the, yeah, I guess I meant, you know. There, there's, there's a lot of geeking in the background. E-infrastructure e yeah. is what I'm, you know. Yeah. But yeah. if you have a great interface that's really easy for, okay, we're going to this community, go to this website, you want to order so many of this, so many of that, they don't know what's going on in the background. They They're just ordering things. They don't need to know things. what's behind yeah. the curtain. All they need, they need to <laughs> they know don't know is, there's a smart contract. No. They don't care there's a smart contract. They call a contractor, yeah. their landscaper person who will be trained by the grant money, and they'll say, okay. Good luck with that, by the way. Well, well, you know, I mean, right no, I mean, because we all know we know yeah. about landscapers. I've had this conversation recently uh, at the Open Lands 25th anniversary. All right, uh, Treekeeper anniversary uh, earlier this week. A bunch of arborists standing around saying, "Why do landscapers still vol volcano mulch trees? Why is this still a practice? Why is this still a problem?" You know, decades mm -hmm. after. Uh, the word is out that it will kill your tree because no one's taught them otherwise. Right, and and that's part of where the money goes too, well, is to teach them yeah. how to do this properly. One one of our partners, Applied Ecological Services, a very large ecological restoration firm in the Chicago area, will have a product offering mm -hmm. that matches the criteria. So we will have professionally trained people to offer the products. In addition, we're going to be training and certifying. Anybody who wants to attend a training course to be certified to meet the criteria. So we have a backstop, you know, with this environmental consulting firm to supply the product. That's right. You know, it's, it's good to know that 
we need to make this clear that there are some really reputable outfits behind this effort. I mean, this is not flying by the seat of your pants, really. It's like I, when I went to a meeting uh, in May, I think it was, and you guys showed, man, these amazing uh, photos satellite photos of areas where you can quantify down to the tree what's growing there and what's needed. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of technology that's going to be involved in this as well, right? Absolutely. That's a part of the baseline study and the results because it's not only what happens on the 20 pilot sites, but those pilot sites will be dispersed through the four state area. And we suspect that the cumulative impact will be greater the benefit would be greater than even the results you're achieving at the pilot sites because what you're doing is you're creating stepping stones within a region that will have co-benefits associated with the whole community. That's uh, Arthur Smith. Uh, he is the treasurer of the... <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned it a couple of times yesterday. He's, so he's I, controlling the purse. He's strings. actually secretary and treasurer. How did who roped you into that? Come on, man. Uh, uh, of uh, Chicago Living Corridors, Pam Todd, who's the president. See, you grabbed the the showy position and you stuck him. <laughs> the work. He's with got the all, paperwork. He, he's he's got to do the the forty four page grant. <laughs> I mean, complete with uh, YouTube video, which was. I thought that was pretty interesting that the MacArthur people said, yeah, and we want uh, a YouTube video that's exactly 90 seconds long. Go. Yeah, uh, that's that's yeah. pretty amazing stuff. And so, Pam, is on, the video is on that website, ChicagoLivingCorridors.org, uh, and um, uh, you can go there to get involved in this. You can go see the video. You can see a summary of the grant proposal. Not all 44 pages. You don't want to... One page. It's a one pager. Okay, just go through and see the one pager, and you'll get an idea uh, of how this should work. All right, what are we left out here? Because we only have a couple of minutes. Uh, what 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 have we forgotten? What are we missing about this? I mean, all we're out to do is change the world uh, and get a hundred million dollars to change the world um, and involved. Every, oh, I know the the idea of this as a model. So we take this. If it works in the Chicago region, it's not just for Chicago. It's for anybody if you get it right. Yeah, matter of fact, an important aspect of the grant is we're going to be a opportunity assessment and coming up with 10 areas domestically that would be ripe for applying the lessons learned mm -hmm. to these other areas. So what we want to do is at the end of the six-year grant period have a report on where there are opportunities, other communities that have done green infrastructure assessments, where they can use this system, what, it, what results they can expect, and basically lay out a roadmap. So then with a proven system, then you can have your third-party venture capitalists come in, develop a system, get the community behind it, and basically replicate. One of the, one of the good examples of replication is what we're going to be doing with the Monarch Butterfly. One of the pilots will be for... Oh, I'm tired of the monarch butterfly. Uh, okay, the Rusty Patch Bumblebee. Yeah. <laughs> I, we almost went with Rusty Patch Bumblebee. But the, the concept is we do it for corridors in the Chicago area for the butterfly. And as a part of that replication, we're also going to be going down the I-35 corridor and scoping out where the opportunities are for instituting the system mm -hmm. in the whole I-35 corridor. 
So at the end of the six years, not only will we have the roadmap, if you will, no pun intended, for the the I-35 corridor, but you'll have the market system in place, and you can use that market system then to funnel the money from those entities that are interested in the conservation effort to basically fund the whole monarch highway. They'll be expanding what you're doing and not starting from scratch. I think one of the most important points is that it's ultimately self-sustaining once it's started Mm -hmm. up. Um, And to Mike's point that, you know, why are landscapers not – you know, doing things sustainably. Why Why are nurseries not selling native plants? It's because there's no business case for them right now. This will provide that business case. It's providing a market for people yeah. who want to have a business that does the right thing. One of the things I really liked is I was reading through the paperwork is all the emphasis on video because I think that's really going to help people to understand this is what it's about. That's mm-hmm. the, and that, it's easy. Yeah. That's a part of the training. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to be training uh, people in the area, you know, so they understand the system. But we're also going to be producing films for the replication. Yeah. So we can have the conferences in other cities and have a video. And a record. So we can learn from the experience and transplant that system uh, in in the future. So that's that sustainability is important. We want to mm-hmm. do the pilot, substantiate the business model and then let the market take care of the situation. Well, I'll remind people again that they can go to uh, chicagolivingcorridors.org. There's also a Facebook page, so I advise you to go there right now and like it. So, you know. Sign up. Yeah, you know, we want to get this, get some momentum here uh, because the MacArthur people are listening. I know they are. Uh, actually, I okay, here's my, my MacArthur Story. I've told it on the show before, but I was at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show, and uh, a woman who works for the MacArthur Foundation came up to me, and she said, "I read your column. Your column is so funny." And I had written a column in I, I write a regular column in Chicago Land Gardening Magazine, and she said, "Because and one of the things I had written was." that I had been passed over by the Genius Grant people. And she said, we were all laughing in the office. That was so funny. I said, well, are you going to get me the Genius Grant? And she just laughed. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, they've already passed me over a a bunch of times. Oh, well, what are you going to do? But maybe not this one. You can participate in this. We'll we'll welcome your participation. (laughs) So I want folks to... uh, let the Mac- you, know, you MacArthur people listening, this is going to get momentum. So, folks, go to Chicago Living Corridors on Facebook or chicagolivingcorridors.org. There's Twitter, uh, which is Living Corridors, and uh, we will get the word out. And then in December or thereabouts, you'll know if you've made the top 10, right? Yes, they go down to the top 10 in December. Hopefully, we'll hear maybe towards the end of November because they'll be communicating with us. Ah, so if you get a little, yeah, a little hint of that. Well, uh, Arthur Smith and Pamela Todd, thank you so much. I'm so happy to get the word out, and um, I hope folks uh, jump on board. And, and, you know, even if you're not part of this organization, it does, it shows you the need Mm -hmm. we have for paying attention. So, you know, maybe less lawn and more more, uh, insect-friendly plants, that's a good way place to start maybe less stuff in the landfill maybe not throwing you know it's all it's all connected 